Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome one and all to Be Real. It is your movie reviewing, reappraising, and chiefly movie hangout podcast. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. We get together, what, buddy? Once once a week? Once every two weeks to hang out? And this week we are watching three of what claim to be hangout movies that, in you know, this choice mirrors our real life a little bit. A group of friends gets out of town. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's sort of a um, reunion fashion in some cases. We go from probably a couple months to like almost 10 years, right? Is sort of the the scope of this one. Oh, sure. You mean from the last time the friends have seen each other? Right, right, right. But right. it's sort of, they all sort of commemorate things. Our hangout, so Chance and I, if you haven't listened to the last episode, uh, Chance and I were in the Poconos together with a bunch of people. Right. And I have to say, like, the original idea was to maybe watch some of these, like, guys hanging out uh, in a cabin kind of movies um, while we were up there. But I throw it to you, Chance, that had we watched one or any of these movies uh, while we were up there, uh, we may not have come back. <laughs> I would agree. I think The Recruit was probably a good choice, considering um, some of these... For being hangout movies, we'll get into it. Some of them aren't that fun. I think they all posit that they are comedies. But yes. I think two of them are actually dramas. For sure. So, do we have any ethos to get to? Um, I don't know. You want to talk about the state of the world? With the caveat, I feel like I always put this caveat on anything serious we talk about on the podcast. That just like, you know, we're two white dudes who do a podcast, so it's almost redundant uh, to even say so but you know we're two people who host a show where we kind of like pluck every week from like the larger pool of american film uh and we have a lot of fun with like a pre-existing canon and try to create our own little canons uh but in the world of you know uh, Weinstein and Spacey and Louis C.K. and all the and hashtag Me Too and just what the last three weeks have been like, especially for people who are into the film industry, it's kind of it should be said that like these canons were not created objectively or fairly or by accident, and they were right. sometimes like created in gross ways. I mean, I don't know what does that what does that mean for us in our like very very tiny slice of film commentary. Well, I think the point of the movies you and I sort of tend to pick are the fact that they either critique the movies that we grew up with or grew up around, and then also to, like, you know, poke at those movies and see why they work or they don't work through mm-hmm. the lens of where we are. Um, but I think the point of us going back to reappraise our own film taste is situations just like this where it's like clearly you had a predatory system in play that like created this movie and like if you break it down I think to the level that we often break it down you can see that and I think we 
constantly poke at, you know, very sexist conventions that existed that were made by the people who are now being called out for their predatory behavior. So some th- things we wouldn't choose are obvious. I don't think we're going to be watching American Beauty tomorrow. Like that's a pretty a pretty obvious cross off, but like I I don't know what our what our what our conversations would be if like what if Kevin Spacey was in a bit part or do we even know what we I don't I couldn't name you all the Weinstein movies. There's too many to name. We could easily pick one and I wouldn't know until And I'm we sure we have it. done them before. Sure. Um but yeah, we just if we were to choose something that was in some way, I think, tarnished by association with one of these people, um, I think we would have a responsibility to to talk about it and investigate it and just not, you know, not ignore it. Yeah, that's our promise to you, dear listener, is that we will continue to sort of talk, dissect. The, well, yeah, dissect these films in the lens of what's happening right now. We're going to talk about uh, these three Hangout in the Country movies. I would love to do nothing more than that. What are we starting with? I thought we maybe would go in chronological order. Okay, so that would be Peter's Friends from 1992. That would be Hot Tub Time Machine from 2010. And that would be Joshy from 2016. That's exactly how I want to do it. The uh, not a lot of box office money between these three. Well, Hot Tub Time Machine made enough that they made a horrible sequel. Have you seen the sequel? In the theaters. You saw Hot Tub Time Machine 2 in theaters? I saw Hot Tub Time Machine 2 like one shitty day after work, and I was just like, there's a six o'clock showing of Hot Tub Time Machine 2 that has my (laughs) name on it. I don't think Clark Duke has even seen Hot Tub Time Machine 2. That's funny. Um, Okay, but Peter's Friends first, 1992. This one, while nobody has seen this movie, and I hadn't even heard of it before Noah brought it up, uh, there is ample reason to discuss because of the cast. Oh, absolutely. You have the entire supporting cast from all seven Harry Potter movies all in one one movie. And yeah, it's some of the best British actors like right before they were legends. Exactly. um, In a pretty like... No holds barred hang movie. Let's set let's rent out this castle and set up the camera and like see what happens kind of movie. So there yeah, there's a lot of see what happens in this genre. Um and I think we're gonna talk a lot about actors here. Because these casts right. are huge and interesting in all three cases. Um but I also think that these movies weirdly they really like lay bare like what actors can and can't do because for the most part it's like very kind of naturalistic like what's it like to just what's it like to hang in a room how's the hang and if somebody is miscast like it's glaring yeah and chance has such a such an acid test as uh, Kenneth Branagh would say uh, for the hang I do love the hang and I'm about you to you tur- are you are uh, uh, just a I don't even know what to call you. Uh, the hangman. <laughs> as far <laughs> as is. as far as turning this acid text test back on Kenneth Branagh, for instance. <laughs> um, okay, so yes, Peter's friends. the The titular Peter um, is played by Stephen Fry, and these these people all go back to uh, s- singing 
like a they had a singing group, a theater troupe at Cambridge. They, yeah, like a, in a review company. Yeah, right. And they would just get like rented out to, or like put on performances of various stripes that they would sort of come up with themselves and like, yeah. you know, uh, Hugh Laurie, um, Doctor House, uh, is was like he would write the music and his now wife, um, what's her name, Amilda Stanton. She would write the lyrics and then Stephen Fry was sort of the idea man, but like never in a way where anything would ever get off its feet, really. Yeah. Uh, Emma Thompson, she's in it too. Unclear <laughs> with her like role. Sure. And Alfonsia Emanuel, who I'd never seen before or I don't think since. Pretty scant IMDb for Alfonsia. She doesn't even have a photo on IMDb. It's right. It's true. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the movie opens and we see these guys performing this like uh, this version of the Can Can with lyrics about the London underground, yeah, London underground yeah. <laughs> stations to this very stuffy room, not dissimilar from the room they will spend time in uh, for the rest of the movie. Uh, right. It's well, it's in that house. Oh, it is. That's the joke. Yeah, that's the joke. Is that they haven't been back to that house oh. since that night? I didn't even put that together. And then after that prologue, in this very kind of like Mike Mills fashion, we uh, know I like that one. Um, it cycles through just iconography of the '80s and all the way up to '92. Um, just oh, to it's kind like of- such a it's such a we didn't start the fire, <laughs> right? Um, which I I kind of like that approach. The the just like this is what these people saw like as they developed. Um, this is like what they were immersed in, um, and then. It's 1992, and Peter, Stephen Fry's father, has died. And so he has this house uh, all to himself. And it's unclear whether he's going to sell it or rent it or do whatever, but what he knows is that he wants to throw a New Year's party, and he wants to invite all his old friends uh, back to the house. And so that's all the people we've mentioned, Kenneth Branagh, Hugh Laurie, Imelda Stanton, Emma Thompson, Alfonso Emanuel. Um, Like these movies do, you kind of catch up with these people and see who they've become. And in this case, some of them have become quite cartoonish, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, yeah. They become like the worst sort of versions of themselves in a very like big Chilean sort of uh, way. It's I'm surprised they don't like owe royalties or something to Kasdan. Um, Because you have somebody working in Hollywood... You have like a, you know, a free spirit, like sex interested wild one. You have one who is kind of like a damaged loner where you're like, what's going on with that, with that one? And then you have the two who've settled down and married each other. Um, it's uh, some real yeah. like matching going on. This year, spend the holidays with Peter's friends. From Kenneth Brown, director and star of Henry V and Dead Again. What have you got in here? Wait! Yes! Comes an outrageous new comedy about catching up with best friends. Is there anyone else down there you used to sleep with? Discovering romance. I've never fallen in love. I've stepped in it a few times. And sharing intimate desires. Fill me with your little babies. Oh my god! You slept with Sarah. My dear, the Archbishop of Canterbury slept with Sarah. Well, all three of these movies have, um, like, who, like, they're all sort of beat for beat. Like, who are these people? So usually, like, an establishing prologue or exposition. Right. Then how do they get to the space, you know, and sort of the unpacking and discovering what secrets sort of await them for this weekend or uh, however long they're supposed to be there. 
And then, like, it just becomes a uh, ticking time bomb until, like, when do people start leaving? I I don't know. How quickly did it strike you that this movie lacked a certain sense of fun? Yeah, this movie's, like, not fun. Well, we'll get to all these movies. But this movie in particular, it's just become so, like unbelievably sad at moments like even everyone's very acerbic too right there's like a lot of like jokes in the movie like a lot of the characters make jokes but i don't think the movie makes a lot of jokes that's true and that's that's like sort of there's no like real hijinks in this one the thing i love about a good hangout movie is that people pair off in like a very right. fluid way and they there are like little semicircles within the group where it's like oh we go over here to talk shit about music for a while and then we go over here to gossip a little bit and then i go to this right. person for my honest talk i think that's kind of authentic to how i hang out with large groups of people in this movie or just the convention in all movies me personally okay um but in this movie that doesn't happen well they, it does happen but like every time it does happen it's so like they can't like that people have paired off like is the conflict of those scenes. So they're True. inevitably busted in on by someone else. Like you have it when Kenneth Branagh kisses, uh, what's her name? Sarah. Oh, fancy, yeah. yeah. And then his wife, like in 30 seconds walks in. It's like, of course she does. Right. Or the scene where, uh, where Emma, uh, Emma Thompson's finally getting laid. Like, of course Sarah busts in on that. Cause it's like the grouping off is, is like verboten in this. It's sort of like a play. Yeah. Like everyone like has to eventually come back to the central space and the central space, I think is the house, but also this movie doesn't know like what to do with the house. Mm -hmm. Like there's no like weird things about the house. That's true. Like in hot tub time machine, like it's a sad sort of like rundown ski town. Right. And then like the time machine is in the hot tub. Sure. (laughs) That's the thing. This movie needs sort of it's like hot tub time machine and it's not everyone's trauma. (laughs) Or it at least needs its a bat in the attic, like big chill. It, It needs a bat in the attic. It needs like... It needs like better build up to sort of like that kiss scene. It's like we didn't what we just learned that they were previously married like in the last scene. Like yeah, we haven't been. There's no steaming sort of you know tension that leads to this kiss. It's just like, well, the guy I was seeing left, and your wife's kind of an asshole. So like maybe we should make out here. Like that's not really the logic that the big chill at least yeah uh, goes for. I'm not going to cool it with the Big Chill references yet because also <laughs> Please a, thing, don't. a thing, about, thing about the Big Chill is that, uh, you know, what's her name's husband, uh, Joe Beth Williams' husband, the guy who's like, uh, nobody ever said it was going to be fun. And he's like eating right. that mayonnaise sandwich at the table. <laughs> he leaves before the movie like begins. And the people right. that Kenneth Branagh and uh, Alfonsia bring like the you know the the interlopers the in-law the sort of pseudo in-laws i guess yeah um, yeah are just the worst and they need well, that's to the leave thing, that's the thing too is that kenneth Branagh's uh, wife has a similar like eating scene except it's with emma thompson and she's like 
binging before like what may be an inevitable purge. Yeah. Um, and what really struck me, which is not any the, fun. No, <laughs> Rita Rudner also who plays Carol, who plays Carol, Kenneth Branagh's wife. She also wrote this movie. Right. So why did she write herself just like such a awful caricature? And, and she doesn't seem to the, the thing about her is like she's not only a fish out of water like both in like the like the character wise acting wise too like she's a very clearly like american sort of stagey broadway actor right and then all these like quiet mumbling brits are just like <laughs> i stepped in love once but i've never fallen in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly right um so like you just need her to leave the movie, but maybe that's on purpose. Can we do some fantasy recasting? Yeah, you go for it. Okay. I think that Kenneth Branagh, and I believe firmly that I'm right about this, is not a naturally likable performer. But he's Britain's answer to Kevin Klein, I would say. <laughs> so what in my fantasy recasting here, we give Emma Thompson a new role entirely because this movie treats her so poorly by just making her like a man crazed idiot who's supposed right. to be like a successful editor or like agent or something in publishing. She's almost as if like Sandra D from Greece like had a oh reunion with some God. British friends. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then what I would do is I would swap the Hugh Laurie and the Kenneth Branagh characters. Because Hugh Laurie is so charming and always has been, and yet this movie d- puts him in this like uh traumatized marriage with Amilda Staunton because like one of their kids has died, doesn't let him have any fun and gives all the sort of like smarmy uh, shit talking to Kenneth Branagh, who doesn't do it in a likable way. I'd swap him. No, yeah, it's like a crime too that Colin Firth like isn't Peter. Oh, that's true. That should be like, true. Imagine him. Imagine him giving that AIDS speech at the end, like yeah. Colin Firth. Like, I mean, Stephen uh, Fry does it fine, but. I think Stephen Fry. You're. That's a great point. Even though I do think Stephen Fry gives the best performance of the movie in that. Vi- yeah. In that very kind of like touching. Like he's almost. He's their host, but he's almost kind of their butler, and he's just like he's been trying to say this thing the entire time they're there, and he's very kind of like. I don't know. Yeah, he's like the sad, the sad comedian of the group who's like trying to get up the courage to perform, and he can't quite do it. Yeah. Probably because the script gave him AIDS. Probably so. <laughs> Can we yeah. talk about that like in a real way for a second? Please. Like, wh- I think we were texting about this earlier and I, you were like, there's nothing really that fun about Peter's friends. And I think it was like the, I was like the recipe to solve that is like one less dead baby. Right. <laughs> exactly. But like everybody's got like a dead baby and like that's, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, most of their actions were pretty selfish and self-serving. And, like, there's no good goofing. There's no, like, hanging out in the grocery store. There's no, like, fun adventures. There's no little missions. That's what happens when people, like, hang out in big groups. They have to go on little missions. And you need to give them, like, or you have to give them little tools, at least. Um, Like, the Hugh Laurie's guitar should have been more involved. You know how, uh, you know how in the movie, um, what's it called? The Big Chill, they have uh, that camcorder (laughs) that they're all playing with. And so you have, you have William Hurt interviewing himself or you have Goldblum being like, 
I might seem more uh, nakedly opportunistic, but really, I'm trying to get what I want. You need people <laughs> to have some stuff to goof with. Yeah, you need like these sort of goof scenes, and you need to have like some creativity visually. That too. That this movie doesn't really have, and it has so many great set pieces that like they clearly didn't build this house; they just rented it for like a long weekend or something. Right. Like, why not shoot in every bizarre nook and crevice? I almost feel like the like a mockumentary version of about the making of Peter's Friends would be a better movie than Peter's <laughs> Friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the David Mamet script for the making of Peter's <laughs> Friends. Sure, yeah. Shall we uh, tell people how we rate movies on this uh, podcast before we rate this one? Absolutely. Hit it. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed, or Jaws, or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say... Love that. Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West. A conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like... I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? ...and Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. So Peter's friends. Peter's friends is a tough one. It's a tough. These are this is these are tough movies to rate. Um, yeah, Lucy was like, so we watched it together today. And she was like, so what would you rate this one? And I was like, that was a good. That's a good question, Lucy. <laughs> I will decide right before Chance asks me. Right. I'll decide based on Chance's opinion. I've been going back and forth. I've been going, so much of me wants to, see, it's not enjoyable. It's disappointing. <laughs> it's, it's disappointing if you think you're going to like, you know, get like the Gen X big chill in, uh, in The British Gen X. Yeah. It's just so both sort of like, like impressed with itself and it's like made for such a small audience of people who like get all the jokes yeah so here's 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 where i'm stuck is that i want i look at the cast i look at them all they're all so young and beautiful and i know what they go on to do and i want to be like okay well just their presence here and like a few good one-liners ought to equal good bad but then you look at the cast again and you're like how do you squander these people in such a way as to make this not an enjoyable movie. And I think I'm going to land on a soft, bad, bad. <laughs> I think I'm also going to land on a soft, bad, bad. That seems like a good assessment. It's not a horrible movie. Like, no. if you like these people, it's, like, worth watching once, I would say. Yes. But I will not return to it the way that, you know, Chance and I do every six months or so. We probably watch The Big Chill because it's fucking awesome. Right, I watched The Big Chill while everyone was asleep in the Poconos. Just me and Margata, Except for Margata. The Big Chill, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, he wanted to turn it off, but 
he wanted you to know that he was really enjoying it. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I'm not going to make it through this, man, but I got something to tell you. <laughs> the reason I've called you here this weekend is that I think I like this movie. But I will say the one saving grace of this movie, which is maybe not the best thing about this movie, uh, or maybe it is the best thing, but let me get there, is the soundtrack. The oh, soundtrack yeah. is killer. And we listened to the soundtrack when you we were driving up to the Pokemon. All hits, it's all a, moods, baby. It's all hits, all moods. But, like, it's so pervasive, though. It's like, <laughs> so now we're going to transition from the driving sequence to the them unpacking sequence. Who's got Cindy Lauper on tap? Right. You know. Uh, it's pretty rapid fire in the first yeah. 20 minutes. Um, like, yeah. especially oh, people the, hu- are, yeah. the Hungry Heart cue. That oh. that comes like ten seconds after the last song, and then the once everyone's reevaluating their love life, the Tina Turner "What's Love Got to Do with It" comes on. It's like it's a little on the nose, Kenneth Branagh. But what are yeah. you gonna do? But yeah, it's bad, bad. Okay, uh, shall we do Hot Tub Time Machine one? <laughs> Let's do Hot Tub Time Machine one. That's two thousand ten. It's a movie directed by. Steve Pink, who co-wrote a couple of other very famous John Cusack movies, Gross Point Blank and uh, High Fidelity. Uh, This also stars John Cusack, along with uh, Rob Corddry, Craig Robinson, and Clark Duke. And it's about, uh, and stop me if you think I'm getting any of this wrong, uh, the hot tub makes people uh, travel (laughs) through time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a pretty... It's a pretty good device, I would say. Sure. A pretty specific one. Yep. The hot tub only does one thing. It's a time machine. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting setup, too, I would say, where you have this friend. It's sort of a similar setup to um, the entry point into Little Miss Sunshine, where you have the person mm. after a suicide attempt and, like, he comes into another group and like sort of this suicide attempt is Rob Corddry, um, whether he just drunkenly, you know, poisoned himself in his garage with his car accidentally on as he fell asleep uh, or it was a genuine suicide attempt. We're not sure, right. but his friends rally around him. John Cusack, who's like a real estate agent right. whose wife is leaving him. And his like ha- house is only like half furnished now because she's taken a lot of his stuff or their stuff that they shared. But she didn't um, take Clark Duke, his nephew, who's living in the basement. Right. So there he is playing Half Life. Right. Um, and Craig Robinson, who uh, is like he works at this pet grooming store. Right. But he always had dreams of like being a musician. Right. And still harbors those. And anyway, they rally together and. To get Rob Corddry's mind off things, uh, to get Lou's mind off things, they go to... Um, Kodiak Valley. Kodiak Valley. They're, they're old stomping grounds as high schoolers who would like get away for like a, like a wild, long weekend in Kodiak Valley. And yeah, they get there and Kodiak Valley's run down as hell. The bellhop who's still working there is now missing an arm. Crispin <laughs> um, Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah, another '80s favorite. Uh, Back to the Future, nod, not such a, a whiplashy nod. It was so big, um, but there were a few references to it, like specific, like what they said in Back to the Future. Uh huh. <laughs> this is a pretty shameless movie in terms of what it is and like what it right. owes, who and to and to whom it owes things. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Uh, 
but yeah, so there, you know, there's nothing to do except it's such a gross resort and gross town at this point. There's nothing to do except uh, get blitzed in the old hot tub. So they do that and they go back in fucking time to 1986. What the hell happened last night? Is there some kind of retro thing going on this weekend? There's something going on in here. Dude is rocking a cassette player. Leg warmers. I'm sure there's a good explanation for all this. Jerry girl! Excuse me, miss. What color is Michael Jackson? Black. Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. I would argue that the hot tub time machine is the answer you arrive on in the algebraic equation of how can we get now 50-year-old John Cusack into an 80s movie where he plays a teenager believably? That's a great question. Hot tub time machine. This is a stupid movie, which oh, of co- so, which, which so stupid. Of course, knows that it's stupid. I mean, I then and exhibit A for that is when they find out they've gone back in time, and Craig Robinson goes a hot tub time machine and looks directly <laughs> into the camera. <laughs> right, but it's pretty campy too. Like yes. it sort of knows that it's stupid. Right, and like the the bit about like when is Crispin Glover gonna lose his arm are kind of so funny. Funny, <laughs> if it's so pretty morbid. <laughs> Pretty more of a pretty hysterical. And then the amount of fun that it lets each character have, like using this conceit of like, what if they could relive a night from 30 years ago? Yeah. You know, or it was what? 25 years ago. What is it? 25? Uh, 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like what if they could do it all over again and they go for broke? Right. They try to change their fortunes and some of them do and some of them don't. They mostly do. And it's a, I think it's like a pleasing movie to watch too in just like how quickly it gets into gear. Oh like yeah. Like it has this kind of rhythm to it where you don't even like really realize where the act breaks are because it doesn't break. It's just kind of right. like, well, we're back in fucking time. What are we going to do? I guess we got to do exactly what we did to get back. Why do we have to go back? Because the 80s were pretty bad. Okay, I guess we better go do that stuff. And then they go. And it's like, wow, we're, we're just flying through this 90 minute movie called Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> They don't. There's not a lot of like, stopping and asking about the science or like the theoretical questions of like could we? They sort of fall ass backwards into better lives for themselves by the end. Right. Um, I did think that was really funny where Rob Corddry goes, "We got to stay here, man. Free love." And somebody's like, "That was the '60s. We got Reagan and AIDS. We have to get out of here." <laughs> yeah. That's all the reason they needed. It also poses some like funny existential questions I'll, I'll point specifically to so they're watching this like sp- the football game that uh rob cordry remembers and because it's back in time of course he remembers the outcome and it, apparently it was like a famous play right john always the drive john always the drive and he knew like play for play what was going to happen so he's betting people you know that things would happen and winning all this money but then at the end he 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 becomes victim to his own hubris and bets this guy that uh, he'll, like, whatever will happen, the throw will happen, the drive at the end mm-hmm. um, will happen. And then if he, he wins, he can have sex with the guy's wife. But if he loses, he has to give Craig Robinson a blowjob. Right. And so, of course, the squirrel that he vomited on has run to Mile High Stadium <laughs> and 
is somehow on the field and it like ruins the drive. Right. Which is like a pretty interesting sort of Christopher Nolan like <laughs> time kind of like what can we do with time? Like if we do something shitty, like will it always catch up to us? Right. So Yeah, that's sort of an interesting moment. Um at the same time though, I feel like I feel like this is a point that connects to Rob Cordry's performance, which I know is something you want to talk about. Is Cordry oh, definitely. In this movie. I kind of feel like this movie weirdly has like different writing voices that don't line up because I know that the screenplay was like written by three different people. They've got that bit about, uh, you know, how, what's her name? Like John Cusack's old girlfriend was like the one that got away and they're all like great white Buffalo, great white Buffalo, great white Buffalo. But like, that's what they call, you know, the one that right. got away, which is like very sort of funny and seems like it belongs in a different movie than, uh, Rob Corddry having to give Craig Robinson a blowjob because he lost a right. bet. Like these seem, these don't. It seems like this is sort of like patched together as sort of like a more thoughtful, uh, you know, like one of those John Cusack neurotic rom coms, and then like you know the Hangover Part Three. Yeah, it definitely. Some studio executive said like punch it up with some of that Hangover stuff, and then right. we'll give you the money to do it. Yeah, exactly. And so. That's what they did. Does it... What do you think of this crew? The shortcomings, I think, in this movie are the people who, like, don't really go for it. And I think, weirdly, like, Cusack doesn't go for it. Okay. Like, he never has, has, like, John Cusack, like, stereo above his head moment. The movie was so aware of every other bit of nostalgia, I'm surprised it didn't force him to do that. Right. He never has to, like, run after uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Right. He just, like, doesn't have to do anything, and then he gets her. <laughs> right, which must be... But, like, yeah. everybody else has to, like, do something insane in order to, like, turn their fortunes around. But then the movie weirdly hangs on Rob Corddry, who I just detest. <laughs> His character, like, doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities about it. His and, only like, redeeming quality thing... is that he tried to kill himself, according to the movie. right. And that's fine, but that like it's hard to root for that person. Yeah. Like I think the movie tries to sort of say like, well, he got picked on, but like it kind of looked like he would he like deserved it when Sebastian Stan <laughs> like really uh, yeah. really turns on him. Fantasy recast for Rob Corddry. I think you need Jack Black in there. I think you need somebody who can yeah. be. A party animal, but, you know, has that innate heart to him that Cordry does not have. You know what would have made this a better movie and, like, not so much of a John Cusack, like, wink movie would have been, you know, a Paul Rudd. Yeah. Like, then it, then this movie would have been, you know, closer to, like, I love you, man. Like, not a great movie, but, like, certainly a very good movie. Love A lovable movie. A lovable movie. Yeah, this movie is weirdly, like... Even as it's like funny and kind of like you have to give it points that it knows what it's what it is. Like, I don't know if it's quite lovable. It's definitely in your sort of bad Santa milieu. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's like, like bad Santa 2, but. Uh, well, I'm sure it's I wonder if bad Santa 2 is as bad as Hot Tub Time Machine 2. He said sparking yet another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> A whole show or just an episode, you think? I'll think of seemingly unnecessary sequels part two pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. To winter, uh, winter debauchery. 
Um, Bad Mom's Christmas? Oh, oh, here we come. I do not like this category. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say this movie is not something I'd say like, oh, I just fucking love uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. Because yeah, there are parts of it that just like don't don't hit. A weird, a weird scene that like doesn't go off for me is the uh, is the Craig Robinson musical performance. There's this thing where in real life, on the one timeline, he like blew this uh, performance like 25 right. years ago, and like it contributed to him never making it as a musician. So what he does with his do over is he plays Jesse's girl brings down the house and then plays let's get it started which is not released until 2003 radio radio remix oh right right um (laughs) (laughs) but does it does it for instance does it really legitimize his musical career in the other timeline because he covered jesse's girl like how is that authentic to him he just stole it from the writers of jesse's girl (laughs) right i mean rick springfield he just stole his shine which is the real reason that I'm going to give this a uh, bad good. I'm right there with you. Um, I think it's quintessential bad good. Yeah, I would agree. It's got a funny enough conceit that it's like watchable and like the performances are fine and it's silly and fun and like the ending is ridiculous and sort of satisfying. And uh, Yeah, it's weirdly, I don't know. I thought, I thought maybe based on some of our really old arguments about like 22 Jump Street that you might argue for this one to be good good based on its self-awareness. But like I don't think it has doesn't have just the punching power or the cast. I mean I think there are some self-aware winky moments that like save this mu- movie from being just pure trash. Sure. Um, but I don't think that that makes it a good movie. Nice. All right. We are in agreement yet again. You ready to talk about Joshi? Yes. So this is a movie that is streaming on Hulu. I think it's a it was made as to be a Hulu original, right? Or Hulu exclusive. I mean, its ultimate distribution was solely Hulu. Great. Um, this is a movie I feel like... I, I know we've talked about it on the show. I may have cut it out because, like, why would anyone need to talk about Joshi on an episode where they weren't reviewing Joshi? Um, but it's such a weird movie. And if you haven't seen it, <laughs> give it a watch because it's just, like, whose idea was this? I sp- oh, I should say, before we move too far away from Peter's Friends... I found if you want to watch Peter's Friends, which we gave it a bad, bad, you don't have to do that. But if you do, there's a, an app on the Roku, at least, maybe the Apple TV, too, called Tubi, T-U-B-I, that we found it today for free. So Joshi came out, God, I hate the name Joshi, uh, came out in 2016. It was, it's, not, it's also not like a, apparent why it's called Joshi, but we'll get there. It's uh, written and directed by this guy, Jeff Baina, um, who co-wrote I Heart Huckabees, I think is probably his biggest. Um, sure he did. His biggest. What? what do you mean? I mean, like, that makes sense. <laughs> sure he did, Joshi. Um, yeah. Uh, but he's oh, got you th- co-wrote. Yeah. Oh, and he had this movie that came out this year, that movie, The Little Hours, that was like uh, all like improved like period theater with Aubrey Plaza, Alison Brie, Dave Franco, Molly Shannon. Um, but yeah, so Joshi is one of these movies. You're just now laughing when I say it. Um, it's one of these movies. And again, you have sort of a like uh, hard to believe, but sort of tragic set of circumstances that like gets people to the house. Right. 
Um, in this right. case, it's that in very uh, dark, kind of like weirdly overexposed, sickly montage, uh, Joshy, played by Thomas Middleditch, comes home and his uh, fiance Allison Bree is in bed and she seems a little down. She, it's his birthday. And she's like, can we just stay in? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. So he goes down to his kind of boring apartment's gym while she makes dinner and then comes back to find that Alison Brie has asphyxiated herself with his belt. Um, <laughs> and you laugh, but it is not played for laughs. Well, that's that's what I was I was laughing about earlier again, watching with Lucy. She's like, Noah, how could you laugh at like that? And I was like. It's just played for no camp at all. It's played so straight and it's so like, it's so where you didn't think a movie starring Thomas Middleditch and Adam Pally was going to go for in the first like 30 seconds. Right. And, you know, in terms of like talent available, don't kill Alison Brie in the first 15 seconds. Yeah. Don't kill Alison Brie ever. The movie could have used Alison Brie, I think. Um, So... Yeah, and the premise here is that they were going to get married, him and his deceased wife. And so they have a deposit down for a bachelor party on this house up in Ojai for Joshy and all of his friends to go spend the weekend. Well, of course, the wedding is called off, but they can't get the deposit back. So it just becomes a guy's weekend, some, I think, four or five months after Allison Brie has taken her life. And so... Uh, Adam Pally, Middleditch, and uh, Alex Ross Perry, who I don't really know from anything. Do you know that guy from anything? No. And Nick Kroll, who is in stuff, and Brett Gelman, who I love. Josh, the man of the hour. Sit down, sit down, sit down. My boy here told me there was a bachelor party. And no, I was going to get married, but I'm not, I'm not anymore. So I thought you part. said that this was a bachelor party. Um, we're not even really using that word. <laughs> coming out with my friends. Uh, yeah, how could I resist? Hey, it's the girl from the bar! Just to get along. It's almost funny that, like, if this movie didn't have Joe Swanberg in it, it would be a huge middle finger at Joe Swanberg. Absolutely. I, th- I thought it was so telling, in fact, that the, Swan- the person that Swanberg plays storms out in the middle. as if Like, be- hates it. Right. Hates what they're doing. Right. Like, will you please stop making... Well, be- because the difference between this and a Swanberg movie is subtle, but it is a difference that matters in the end, I think. Right. We can get to that. Well, and it's crazy too, like the talent that like is in the movie for 30 seconds, like literally Lauren Graham. I don't even think she has a line. Right. She's just like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm Katie. Plaza's, two E's. Plaza's in it for two minutes. Jake Johnson's in it for two minutes. But Right. Jake Johnson's in it for two minutes. Plaza, at least Plaza has that thing. The weird thing about the shoe. Right. But then like Jenny Slate's like, weirdly in it maybe more than like the script calls for the story should have it feels like even improvised as to like who gets to be in the scene yeah yeah not what they're saying but just who gets to be there apparently this movie had like a pretty interesting like the way they shot it was they just like rented out this ojai place for like two weeks or something and then based on people's schedules they just like did scenes yeah that, you know, that makes sense. Right. 
I think this movie, by the chance Solemn Pfeiffer's School of Hang uh, scale, I would say this movie has a lot of, like, great hang, but then, like, when it tries to have a script and, like, beats, then it's, like, oof. Yeah. When you have a Joe Swanberg movie where, like, much of the dialogue is uh, come up with on the spot or just, like, you know, as they're kind of riffing in the moment, when we watch, like, Win It All or Drinking Buddies, even if it feels like you know, they're they're getting by on what's happening in the scene and they're going with the flow and there's a real sense of play. There's always a crystal clear understanding of who the characters are. Right. What's well, who the characters are and then like what's going like what did that scene's what was that scene's purpose? Right. I feel like for Swanberg, like intention and purpose is like that is his guiding thing when he like pushes improvisational actors. Yes. Like, by the end of this, we need to establish that he's lost another $1,000 or whatever. Improvise within this range, this need right. that the script has. But, but this movie, it's sort of like, let's improvise, you know, more situationally. Like, you know, Brett Gelman's having, like, a bad mushroom trip. Right. And then, Adam Pally, you're going to hold this bone. Yeah. And, and that's the scene. I and think- it's like, but what are you, what are you getting out of this scene? I love Nick Kroll as a comedian, but like you can't let Nick Kroll just like come up with a character in a motion picture as he goes. Right. Because then he's going to go back to just like indie film version of the league, which is basically what he does. Right. Yeah. He's just, he's just indie movie rucks in. Sure. Yeah. Or the douche from Parks and Rec. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But he'll go back to like his bread and butter, which I think works pretty well. Yeah, it works. Yeah. It does. And he's like a little stockier for this role, which is sort of interesting. Maybe they just have him in like smaller clothes, but he's like more sort of built. You look pretty fit in the hot tub scenes. Yeah. He's like, maybe he put it on for some unrelated thing. <laughs> right. Um, but he like, it gives him a presence that's like, this guy could kick your ass, like if he really wanted to. And he's like imposing over Alex Ross Perry in that way. Can we we haven't talked a lot about how we think these movies relate to our weekend in the Poconos. Your well, right. your weekend in the Poconos. I was just there um, producing a podcast. You can say R. That's fine. I was just there freelance producing a podcast. <laughs> but I think that this was the movie that made me think that Alex Ross Perry trying to get everybody to play that like Settlers of Catan game he invented was like the most analogous thing to trying to get people to watch The Recruit when they did not want to. <laughs> oh man and then like recording them talk about it Um, right that was yeah that felt most familiar to me so i was the alex ross perry of our weekend you think i think we both were we were a two-headed you were the ross i was the perry can we talk about the weirdest part of joshy well the i don't know what you're gonna say but i think there's a part that totally fucking ruins joshy so you go first i well i'm gonna talk go back to the cast and say like okay so yeah you have a lot of uh, talented comedians asked to do drama in certain parts, but this movie thinks that Thomas Middleditch is like John Cazale. Sure. Why? I don't know. Well, that's the thing because it knows that it's not, and it stocks most of the movies with scenes with him in the background. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that concerned with him until like the last act of the movie, and really the bookends of the movie, like this prologue and this epilogue, it's like seemingly concerned with him. It's before the house and at the end of the house, 
but in the middle of the house, they're really only there. And he kind of admits it in that crazy monologue he has in the end. But the real reason they're there is not for Joshi. It's for the girl. He's trying to get away from the girl. Like, so it's still sort of a bachelor weekend Mm -hmm. because he's trying to be as far away from his fiance as possible. His fiance just happens to be dead. Right. So there's no reason for the movie to be even called Joshi, I don't think. I think the movie should have been called Rachel, which is Alison Bree's character's name. I think the big error in judgment is it did not take a page from Damien Chazelle's playbook. If you have access to Paul Reiser for like six hours, you do not make him the bad guy in the movie. That just, like, doesn't make any sense. And what you have is this, like, almost ridiculous, like, drop-in, which, like, doesn't pull... Like, you've already had your weird drop-in with, like, the Joe Swanberg and his wife and kid. And the parents' one is so awful. Yeah. Like, just traumatizingly awful. Like, not awful, it's, it's finely acted, but, like, it's just such an awful situation for three humans to be in, especially in, like, the world of this movie, mm-hmm. that, for me, there was such a jarring tonal shift that then leads to this, like, brutal monologue that Middleditch gives, which right. I thought he did pretty pretty well on. And I thought the acting chops were, like, in the pivot to, like, laughter, because I think that's right. difficult to do. That's true. But yeah, then the movie like wasn't big chill enough. It was like ordinary people. <laughs> nice. I th- this movie needs to be more hot tub time machine, but it's more Peter's friends. I would agree with that. I would agree. And I think that where you su- where people succeed is so these comedians have a very distinct sense of like what can be irritating they're very good at like honing in on that so um like brett gelman i mean brett gelman is especially talented on that's like his brand is just like needling comedy so when he's just like yelling at middle ditch and he's like you were not meant to be sad (laughs) become who you were born to be um that's like that's pretty funny i actually think the mvp of this movie for me is jenny slate um, well, I think oh, definitely. I think that while her, the amount that she's in it is weird, considering like why would a stranger come over to this house three times in one weekend? Like, what's going on at her house that she feels the need to do that? But she is able instead of focusing on what's irritating, she's actually like a good actor able to find humanity when she sits down next to uh, Alex Ross Perry when they sneak into the neighbor's hot tub, and she's like, "I'm sorry earlier that I didn't want to play your stupid game." But I am really sorry about that. That to me is like, that is quintessential, like, very nice person who is still too drunk to communicate with any tact. A brilliant bit of, like, human observation, which I think I appreciate more than the Nick Kroll school of what's going on here. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, but the movie needs the, needs Kroll in there to, you know, make things interesting. I'll take Kroll over Cordry, that's for sure. Oh, Kroll is such a better Cordry. Yeah. Um, but you know what I think the biggest thing that this movie suffers from, and forgive me if it like lives up to your in like indie alt-rock sensibilities, but compared <laughs> to the other two movies, the soundtrack sucks. Are you about to besmirch Art Garfunkel's rendition of 99 Miles from L.A.? It just doesn't have the same like... <laughs> no, I agree. Like the big... 
Big Chill has, you know, amazing soundtrack, as everyone knows. It doesn't have any and, money for licensing. Right. Yeah. Well, Joshi doesn't. Right. But, like, even Hot Tub Time Machine has got those, like, great cheesy 80s songs that, like, you know, but, like, you sort of don't know. And then Peter's Friends is, like, all, it's all hits. Right. And this movie's just, like, kind of Bon Iver, indie rock. Sure. You know? Is that is that Nick Drake, but you, like, stripped out the vocals? What is that? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh-huh. It is Nick Drake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so what do you rate this one? I think Joshi is. I think it's a good bad. I think it's like ultimately a pretty well made movie with some pretty interesting performances in that sort of Joe Swanberg indie who's hanging out, who's around, Ojai, California, Peter's Friends, Hot Tub Time Machine, Big <laughs> Chill kind of movie. Yeah, everything we've talked about so far. But I don't think it's that watchable. I think it's kind of boring. And then, like, when it becomes this, like, weird, like, the parents, like, want to, like, con- like want to, like, figure out that he's the killer. Like, that was – then it's just, like, what is this? Right. Like, the scenes are good and believable, but it's, like, why have that scene? Have you seen uh, Digging for Fire, that Swanberg movie? I have not. It's – I mean, it's – one of his least like seen recent films, which like nobody sees Joe Swanberg films. So that's saying something. Um, but it's like the same thing. It's like Jake Johnson goes to like, he's fighting with, I think it's Rosemary DeWitt. And so he like stays at like a country house for the weekend. And he's just like, he finds something in the backyard and he just keeps digging for it all weekend. And he digs and he digs and Sam Rockwell and Chris Messina come over and party. And like Brie Larson comes over and he almost has a thing with her, like akin to the Adam Pally thing, but he doesn't because he's married. But it's just such a like better studied and because it's more prepared can be surer of itself when it goes off book. Whereas this movie's just like, suicide is at the forefront of this movie and yet like i would never dare rein in an artist who wanted to write the script on the fly makes it as you say i think unwatchable um even Even the prologue to this movie like is a is totally unnecessary it's like the reason that kevin costner's not in the big chill you don't need the body you just need the character right and you need everyone to know who they're talking about yeah but you don't need to cast that role. Yeah, I think it's good bad. I'm gonna go good bad as well. Fantasy recast for Joshy. Jake Johnson is Joshy, but just let him call him Jakey. And then Jason Manzuka says every other part. <laughs> every other person in town. Right. What do you think? I think that's great. All right. Um, Jakey coming to VOD in 2018. Do we have anything further to say as uh, as folks who recently rented a country house? Yeah, but like no, nobody died or got AIDS. Great, or even got stabbed you in know. the eye with a fork. No, we did pretty well. I feel like the lesson here might be to uh, think in advance about who you invite to the house and make sure you see each right. other more than every five years, and then it won't be so fucking weird and tragic. Yeah, and take it easy on poor Paul Reiser. Kind folks, for more, be real. We would love you to check out BeRealPodcast.com. We're getting into uh, an exciting few months with movies here, despite the larger, I don't know, tragedy, scandal, outcry affecting the industry. We've got some 
there's some cool movies coming up uh which no yeah no and i will chat about a little bit but uh find the podcast we've done some cool stuff recently uh we had a writer on to talk about which movies we talked about the recruit for longer than anyone has ever talked about the recruit including probably the writers of the script um and what else have we done recently what am i forgetting we did we reviewed the whole matrix trilogy we had bren on that one time talk about back to boarding school movies so find it all on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your shows. We'll be there. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, we would love you to uh, follow up with us. Stay attuned. Tell us what you think of these movies. I do most of the social media, but Noah will hop on Twitter, too. Tell us what you think of the movies. Um, and yeah. Sometimes I engage with you on Twitter. That's right. Mostly when I tweet something you don't agree with from the Be Real account. Right, and then I make sure that people know it's you, and then I disagree with it. Hello, Chance, you've been tweeting again from our public account. (laughs) I enjoyed this movie. Please listen to the full episode for Noah's remarks. (laughs) That's about right. All right, buddy. Well, it's great to see your face as always. Um, Absolutely, you too. I'm glad that it didn't take a death to get us together this time. Cheers. I'll talk to you later.